Welcome back to Cedarville Stories. This is part one of a two-part series with Dr. Pam Johnson. She shares about her salvation story and the journey that led her to Cedarville University. It is a great reminder to always share faith with others because we never know the effect it will have. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Joining me this week on the podcast is Dr. Pam Johnson, a Hall of Fame coach and a current administrator at Cedarville University. Dr. Johnson is a graduate of the University of Dayton and Ohio State University. She coached women's tennis at Cedarville for 30 years and currently teaches kinesiology and allied health. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's a blessing and privilege to be here with you. I think this is going to be a great 30 minutes. Uh, Just knowing you and your personality, I'm just thrilled that you are willing to share your story in in this forum. So thank you. I want to really start at the core of who I think Pam Johnson is, and that's your spiritual journey, because I know it's really a fascinating story. How did the Lord open your heart to him? He knew that I needed people to reach out to me because I was the third of three girls in a family and was used to kind of sitting back and watching and listening. And so he knew that I was also not very brave or courageous. And so I was raised in a home that thought it was important to send the children to church. So I was in the Midwest, and so that's what you did. The kids went to church. Mom and dad might go on Easter and Christmas and good years. So I had been raised in a church, had been around church things all the time, Uh, Spent the first four years of my life really living with um, my dad's parents. My parents were divorced shortly after I was born. And so we lived with them for four years, four houses from a church. And we were in that church every time it was uh, Mm. open. Interestingly, not more than three or four blocks from Dr. Jeremiah's church in Dayton, but knew nothing about it. Uh, So it's kind of interesting for me to look back and see all the little connections that were close, but hadn't come together yet. Uh, My grandmother had a little baby grand piano in her living room, and I grew up hearing hymns the first four years, five years of my life, Mm. and I loved them. And to this day, I still love hymns. But that's where I think some of my early um, learning of Scripture and learning of God's truth actually came from those hymns. So fast forward a little bit. My dad got married, and um, again, we were sent to church, and so I, I learned some stories. I learned some things about church, but not the gospel and not the the truth of God's word. So what he used ultimately, my middle sister, Beverly, actually came to Christ first in the family. And she dutifully tried to share that truth with me I dutifully, as a bratty little sister. No. Yeah, I'm. I know this is a shock, so I thought I'd reveal. Thank you, Pam. Um, <laughs> that I would. Um, I made fun of her. I told her it was all because she wanted this boyfriend, and mm. I just poo-pooed it. But I think there was still some little bit going on in the back of my sure. mind, like well, she's different, and and what's going on here. God took me and gave me the opportunity to go to college um, when the University of Dayton offered full tuition scholarships to the top two students in the graduating classes of all the public schools in the Dayton area. Okay. Um, and, and an effort on the part of UD to keep local kids at home, which is not typically what college students want to do. But it was the only way I could go to college. And so I literally lived at home and took 
the city transit bus to the University of Dayton my first year. And um, then finally was able to buy a little Volkswagen bug. That was fun. Um, and started my college journey. Nobody in my family had ever gone to college. So this was kind of very new. My mother's quite disappointed that I was going to go to college and not get a job and make something of myself there at the factory there at National Cash Register. Mm. But uh, God had a different plan. I didn't know he was behind it, but he was, clearly. So University of Dayton is a Catholic university. I was not a Catholic. Um, I was a Protestant, as it were. And um, so I had to take a philosophy minor Mm -hmm. instead of the Catholic catechism classes that the Catholic students had to take. And is that allowed at uh, at UD typically? That, that yes, that was the that was the arrangement. Okay, they they admitted um, non Catholics. Anyone, right? As long as you met their standards uh, academically, uh, you were admitted. But uh, so I took a philosophy minor. Okay. Very interesting. I never had any philosophy classes before. The very first class was a class called Moral and Spiritual Values, mm. taught by one of their brothers. Interestingly, and uh, through that course. God started me thinking about the real questions of life. What did I really believe? Who did I really believe in? And why did I believe that? Mm -hmm. So I was commuting. So I went back to my church on Sundays and started asking questions. They said, wow, you ask a lot of really good questions. Maybe you could teach a Sunday school class for us. I'm like, really? No, I'm looking for answers. They had no answers. They had no answers for me. And so I, I really started my search, and it grew out of those, those philosophy classes that started my journey. So I went through my freshman year, which is an interesting year for anybody, really seeking answers to a lot of questions. And this was the 60s. So there was a lot of questioning of all, thing, all people in authority and all established things. So I didn't know... I didn't know what to think, who to ask, who to trust. Over the first couple of years there at UD, I went to a couple of Catholic masses to see. And the one I went to uh, was in Latin. And I'm like, I had one year of Latin. That did not help me a great deal. I, I talked to my friends. I was like, what are they saying? Well, I don't know. We'll just memorize it and go on. It was, mm. it was very interesting. They didn't have answers for me. I kept searching around. So I started um, being involved in some of the athletics what little athletics they had for girls in those days. This was in the 60s. And women's college athletics were just beginning to come back from being essentially totally shut down for a period of time. And so I joined the field hockey team. We played this school called Cedarville College. That was my first exposure to Cedarville College. I lived 45 minutes away from it and had never heard of it. But we weren't a college family, so I didn't do a college search or anything like that. It was just... That's, I just never had heard of it. And it wasn't in the news. Well, no, and there was no internet back then. No, there was no internet. What little television, you know, little squirt, just kidding. There just wasn't. The the college wasn't really promoting itself particularly well. They were struggling to to really get their feet on the ground solidly as as I came to know it. When was this? Like This was late 60s. Late 60s. Okay. And so... um, Interestingly, then, um, I had heard of it only because our principal at Patterson Co-op in Dayton, where I went to high school, C.B. Hurst, actually left Patterson and came over to Cedarville as, um, 
admissions director and some things okay. for a period of time. And that was my only, the only time I'd heard it until we started playing against Cedarville's team. Well, what we found out is our faculty and some of the Cedarville faculty were friends. Okay. And they were also interested in getting some girls sports started and getting things going. Was UD at that point a Division One program? Women's were not. Okay. Okay. Now the men's program definitely was. Okay. The UD Flyers, yeah. When I was there, we got to play UCLA. Okay. In the NCAA, I believe, semifinals. And we lost there. But... Had a great run. It was an incredible time. Yeah. I, so yes, the, I, I asked because in today's sports world, to have a Division One program, NCAA Division One program, play against even a, a Division Two program is unheard of, let alone an NAIA school. Sure. So that was amazing back then that they would play us. But see, women's sports were totally different. There okay. was nothing for women. Okay. And uh, there weren't even NAIA didn't offer anything, and neither did NCAA. So the women started their own. We could okay. go on for another podcast on the history of women's athletics. But we, may, we may do that. <laughs> okay. But uh, so I um, started becoming acquainted. Now, what was interesting to me was the Cedarville College teams, the girls on those teams were very different than any of the other teams we played. We didn't play big schedules. But they were kind. They were pretty good, actually. And they were, they were very attractive to me. And so, and we'd see the same kids on different teams. The okay. kids that played field hockey would also play basketball, would sure. also play volleyball, would also play softball. Well, then um, I ended up going to a camp and being a counselor at a camp here in Ohio because we had to get a certain number of hours working with school-age students um, before we did our student teaching. Okay. We had no experience in the schools mm. in our physical education program before we did our student teaching. But we had to get like 1,800 hours. And the best way to do it was camp. Well, camp was where I really met the Cedarville College students. Okay. They were there doing some of the same things. And uh, Mary Alice Jeremiah and June Kearney were also counselors at that camp. Okay. And wow. they were kind of the head counselors at it, kind of leading the camp, directing the camp. So got a summer exposure to Cedarville College students and faculty. Mm-hmm. So that was my, between my freshman and sophomore year, that was my first real in-depth exposure. My sophomore year, Mary Alice Jeremiah joined the faculty at the University of Dayton. And that gave me someone there to be able to talk to, ask questions. So this search went on my freshman year, my sophomore year. You know, freshman year, you're just trying to survive. Sophomore year, you're pretty convinced you know everything. Right. Because you've survived your freshman year. And so junior year rolls around. I'm a slow learner. Um, although one, one incident, the, the summer of my sophomore year at camp, I remember um, asking Mary Alice why she went to the church that she went to. It was more of a general question because, again, I had tried some other churches. I'd gone to the Catholic masses. Sure. And they just went because it was there. Right. So I asked her, I said, why do you go to the church that you go to? I don't think I asked another question for three hours. She saw that as an opening sure. to really give a background for what she believed, why she believed it, and why the Bible was so critical to that. I had never heard that before from like a regular person, not a pastor or a priest or a preacher or anything like that. Which you would hope or expect to. Right. 
And so that was huge for me. So I'm going into my junior year. Now, your junior year as a college student, you start realizing you know nothing and reality's coming in a year, a little over a year and a half or so. So to shorten this to less than an hour, we ended up going to a field hockey tournament over at Ball State University. And coincidentally not, um, Cedarville team and our team were staying at the same Holiday Inn. So we'd go, um, and this was on um, actually a, a... Catholic holiday, we didn't have classes that day because it was All Saints Day, November 1st. So we went to the tournament, played in our tournament. Um, So in the evening, the girls from the Cedarville team invited us to come to their team devotions. Well, I couldn't get any of the other kids to go, but I wanted to go. I I liked these kids. They were fun to be around. They were so kind. So I went. And they sang songs. It was just, it was sweet. It was sweet. And then they shared. And one of the girls shared that she had just broken off her engagement Mm. because she understood the Lord was calling her to the mission field and her potential fiancé was not interested in that. Well, that speaks pretty powerfully to junior females in college, I'm just saying. And what I realized in that moment was these kids had what I was looking for, and that's what I wanted. But again, I was a little too chicken to say anything. You were shy back then. I was shy back then. I'm still shy. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, And so I went back to my room, and my mind is running a mile a minute. And about 10 minutes later, there's a knock on the door. I'm assuming it's Coach checking on us. No, it's one of the Cedarville kids. She said, I thought you might want to talk. What made her think that? I have no idea, but I'm assuming it's the Holy Spirit. Good point. That prompted her. And so she came in. I had a gazillion questions, poor dear. But as, as I got to the point where I realized, okay, this is what I'm looking for. I need to ask Christ to be my personal Savior. Wow. And, and so that was, so I got to become a saint on All Saints Day. Is that just cool? That is what? the coolest thing that could ever happen on that day. Isn't that sweet? That is very sweet. So, um, so it's a very special day for me. So then I'm trying to figure out what in the world to do. And the faculty at Cedarville, June and Mary Alice, mm-hmm. um, were, were very good counselors for me. And they said, you know, God's opened the door for you to be at, at Dayton. That was the first I realized that's why that had happened. Right. And um, she said, you know, go ahead and finish your degree there and let's see what God does with it. So then God opens the door and lets me go to the, the Ohio State University, of course, um, to I've get my, it. yes, thought you might have, to get my master's and my PhD. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. And um, so that's, that was an interesting place to grow as a young believer. Um, but ultimately, I ended up uh, attending Bill Brock's church, okay. who happened to be a trustee at Cedarville College. There are lots of other fun pieces of the story, but that's, that's my spiritual journey. Uh, one of the pieces that was very difficult for me, I, I tried to share my faith then with my family and didn't do a very good job. And I, I broke my dad's heart when I told him I had to be baptized as a believer because he had had us all baptized as children once the divorce had happened. So this was a very sensitive area for him. And I knew I couldn't expect him to understand, but I knew I had to do it. Mm-hmm. So those were, those were pieces of my early part of my journey. How, it's a great story, and thanks for sharing. Um, 
I'm interested in, in following up a little bit. So I'm going back to your, your mom was disappointed that you went to college. How did she respond to your conversion to Christ and then going on for a, ultimately a PhD? She couldn't figure it out. She was having her own struggles at that time. She actually, while I was in um, um, working on my PhD work, she actually attempted to take her life. Mm. She, the, the sad part for my mom she never loved herself, and she couldn't really believe anybody else could love her, including God. And that was, a, that was a heartbreaking thing for us as a family. My dad loved her and was devoted to her, mm. and she actually couldn't believe it because she didn't love herself. Yeah. And she was, a, she was a living example to me of how confused we can get about love mm-hmm. and about being loved and who we are. And even in the latter days of her life, um, God gave us just some beautiful opportunities to remind her of what she needed to do and that God really did love her and that Christ loved her so much he died for her. We have no evidence that she could ever really accept that. Yeah. Um, But my dad did. Did he really? He did. Um, Interestingly, probably about 30 minutes before he went into a final coma and died. Um, and that's a neat story where, um, again, we had tried to figure out, I had tried to figure out how to testify effectively. I finally realized words were helpful, but my life was more powerful and more important. And what God was doing in my life was critical to share with him and let that speak to him. And, uh, ultimately my sister's pastor actually confronted him in the hospital and he recognized that he needed Christ, and he accepted Christ there on his, literally on his deathbed. And when I first got the news that, and was called to the hospital, that he had gone into a coma and had a massive secondary stroke, I was devastated. Mm. I was devastated until I got there and saw my sister laughing and crying all at the same time. And I'm like, what's gone? What is you know, going she's on? She's flipped off. She said, he saved. He accepted Christ. And then so she tells me the story, and it was just precious. I'm so I'm sad I didn't get to live here with my dad as a believer. Right. It's so grateful I'll get to spend eternity with him. That, that, that day is coming, absolutely. For the sake of the podcast and, and the time, I want to jump to how you got to Cedarville, because I think Bill Brock has part of the, is part of that story. <laughs> um, your husband was part of that story. How did you get to Cedarville after you finished your Ph.D.? What transpired? So as I'm getting in that final, finishing my dissertation and thinking, okay, it's probably time I started thinking about getting a job. That was a joke in the family. It's like, are you ever going to work? You're just going to go to school forever. A professional student. Exactly. That's what they were definitely worried about. Remember, nobody had gone to college, and here I'd spent quite a few years now in college, almost right. as much as... You spent a lot of money. <laughs> well, I didn't spend well, a lot of money. Interestingly, I was totally debt-free hmm. because God arranged full tuition scholarship at UD, Right. lived at home, so my parents supported me that way. Right. And then this a university fellowship at Ohio State where I um, got my master's my first year, got a stipend also. They paid for the tuition and everything. And then um, two years, I was a teaching assistant and then a dissertation fellowship year. So literally, it was all paid for. What a blessing. Oh, my word. An amazing blessing. I had saved, I think, all of $2,000 for 
through all of my uh, co-op work um, during high school. And um, that's what I would have had. And I still had that. Amazing how God provided. So then it's like, okay, I probably should get a job. So I interviewed a couple different places. I was actually offered um, a position at University of Wisconsin-Madison, which Mm -hmm. my advisors at Ohio State strongly encouraged me to do because that's a research institution just like the Ohio State University, and and that's what advisors there would want you to do. But they wanted me to do research, and I had just spent all this time in school because I loved teaching. I had always wanted to be a teacher. And you love people. I did. So you need to be with people. Exactly. So research didn't do anything for me. I mean, it was interesting intellectually, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach. I knew that. So Cedarville actually created um, uh, a position, and Mary Allison June let me know that it was available if I was interested in, in that. And so as I talked to, well, what's this about? And it's, well, you'd be teaching and um, Mm -hmm. you'd probably have to be coaching because physical education teachers in that day, you taught, you coached, sometimes you ran intramurals, you officiated and you did a lot of things. Yeah. You did whatever related to sports was on the campus to do. Right. So I thought, man, that sounds like exactly what I want to do. And, but I thought, okay, am I being too narrow? I interviewed at Oral Roberts University because I heard that they were religious in some way. And I interviewed with them, and they said, well, it really doesn't matter what your beliefs are to work here. And I was like, okay, I don't think that's where I want to go because I'm a really young believer now. What scared me most, Mark, was that as I started praying about it and thinking about it, I thought, wait a minute. These kids will have been Christians longer than I have. How can I teach them? I don't think I can do this. I'm, I literally remember mm. this night conversation with God. I, how can I do this? I, I don't think I can do this. And he said very clearly, you can't, right. but I can right. using you. Well, this is a whole new journey. I don't know anything about this, but I, I would love to do this. And so, so I interviewed. What's fun is it was summer. Cliff Johnson was out on the West Coast. Right. Don Callen was in the Philippines. The only people around to interview me were board members. Okay, that's funny. (laughs) And so I flew into Columbus and met with, I don't even know for sure which board members I met with. Pastor Brock probably was part of it. And and I interviewed in slacks. That's what I heard. Yes, this was a terrible thing. Because that's all all you had. Exactly. I'd been in grad school for four years. Right. So it (laughs) it was very interesting. But they did finally agree to hire me, and um, I got to join the faculty back in 1974. 1974. And it, it wasn't at the time, but ultimately it makes sense. Didn't your husband hire you? He did. He did, which is kind of a funny story. But like I said, he was not even there at that yeah, he was, he final was... interview to do it, but he did approve. And I can't remember if they called him or whether it was like on the phone or anything like that. It's just what we did. And of course— once the trustees approve it, then it's okay. So it is funny that he hired me um, with no clue for either of us what would eventually become right. of that. Yeah, now you guys were married nearly 25 years. We were. We and were. He, he recently passed, and uh, was a great man, and as we all know. Did you guys ever relive that situation where he actually hired you 
in your marriage life? Did well, you we, we, we did joke about the fact that neither my direct boss or my boss's boss would even bother being in the state when I got hired. Um, and that was the only way I could slip in. <laughs> so, but once I got in, then uh, I joke that at two different times of some folks here thought maybe I should leave and they were wrong. And a couple different times I thought maybe I should leave and I was wrong. And aren't, so here I am. Aren't you glad you're here? I am so grateful I'm here. Is there a better time to be at Cedarville than right now? No, except when I was here at the beginning, it was a perfect time for me right. to be here. It was a, a very interesting, almost a pioneering feel to that time. Um, Dr. Jeremiah had done a magnificent job of, and, and Dr. Johnson and the team that he had gathered together, pulling the, the college up to an amazing level with almost 1,000 students. Mm. The year after they hired me, they received finally regional accreditation. I told them it was because of me. Of course. But part of actually what we had been dinged on early and didn't even get candidacy at first was because we didn't have many PhDs. Mm -hmm. And so they were sending the faculty up to Ohio State and wherever to try to get degrees. And so trying to hire PhDs, people sometimes considered us a Bible college and we weren't. They, they weren't sure what to make of us because we were very unique. So it was fun to be part of that pioneering time. Right. It was fun to be part of the time with Dr. Dixon as he took this very aggressive approach to building the college. Right. Dr. Jeremiah had built phenomenal relationships with the churches. Dr. Dixon spent a lot of time building relationships with the community and businesses. Right. And, and so it's been fun to be able to be a part of watching those, these four different presidents that have gotten to serve under and using their strengths to accomplish their piece of the work that we are today. And to watch Dr. White now as he gets his feet solidly on Cedarville ground and realizes what God's call is for him to do in leading us into this next phase. They've all been exciting. So, yes, it's a great time. Um, I, I've said to some of my friends, I said, it's a little nervous because when you see the blessing and the, all this magnificent work that's being accomplished, you know Satan's not happy about that. No. And so you, you do have to double down in prayer, and you do have to say, well, we've got we've to watch. We've got to be careful. We've got to stay strong because Satan is going to do what he can. Yeah. to destroy this. What's cool and gets me excited about Cedarville is when I asked the question, how can a very conservative Baptist university that is committed to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ flourish? It seems like in all areas. And the answer is God. And that gets me excited because this place is, is right in step with what, the Lord is leading us, how he's leading us, and it's so much fun to be part of it. It is. That it is. Pam, we are out of time, but I will have you back for another podcast. Thank you for telling the story about your conversion and your initial journey at Cedarville, and we'll talk again down the road. Great. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been a blessing and pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. 
You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.